Amen. It's uh, good for my heart and my soul. refreshes me to hear your voices. I want to invite you now to um, open your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 20. If you've been with us for um, these months, you'll know that we have been walking our way through this early Christian narrative, this story that's captured by the apostle, or or the the author, I'm sorry, Luke, um, here in the book of Acts. And tonight we come to chapter 20. Um, And it's just a quick word as to where our preaching ministry will go in the coming weeks. Um, Tonight will be our our final night for at least a little while in the book of Acts. This is actually a particularly good time to pause Acts from this point forward. Um, Paul's life will take a particular turn, so we'll take a pause for this summer. Um, We're going to continue our practice at Grace Fellowship, a tradition we call Summer in the Psalms. Um, We will preach from the Psalms each Sunday this summer. That will begin next Sunday. It's hard to believe that summer really begins next Sunday. And and this summer in particular, we're going to preach through um, what I'm calling just the creation psalms. So a really rich idea in the psalms in particular is this theology of creation. Um, The stars, the the ocean, the mountains. Um, What do those things tell us about our Lord and particularly his care for you and for me? So that's what we'll do together. I'm really excited about that. But um, one final evening, at least till the fall in in the book of Acts. And as is our custom, we're going to pair this reading from Acts chapter 20 um, with the reading from the opposite testament tonight. That will be Psalm 23. And and Liz Hill is going to lead us in the reading of Scripture. This will be Psalm 23, it's verses 1 through 4. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And from Acts 20, I'll begin reading from verse 17. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to them, when when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time, from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus, 
to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Now I commend you to God and to the world and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. And all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus how he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive and when he said these things he knelt down and he prayed with them all and there was much weeping on the part of all they embraced Paul and kissed him being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, in this moment and in your kindness and in your mercy, we ask by the power of your spirit that you, in this moment, would do the thing that only you can do. Lord, would you shine light on these words that are in your word? Lord, would you shine light on the words that I have prepared? Lord, and would you use these words to great effect in our hearts and in our souls? I pray that you would use them tonight to give us great joy and confidence and hope, in particular, in our good shepherd, the Lord Jesus. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So, um, a few years ago, my son Leland, he's eight years old now, but he was in 4K kindergarten. And, and I share this story um, with his permission, by the way. That's always the case. Um, he was in 4K kindergarten, and um, they had a little time where they circled up at the little rug for circle time. And, and this particular circle time was a conversation about um, career and vocation and occupations of their parents, I think. And uh, the preschool teacher went around and, um, and asked every child what their parents did for a living and, you know, each child just kind of consistently answered around the circle, and it comes to Leland. He's four years old. 
And through his big brown eyes and sort of wild hair, um, he just looks at them blankly. And, uh, and his preschool teacher said, Leland, um, what does your parents do for like a job? And he says, well, my mom takes pictures. His, his mom, my wife Mandy, is a photographer. And they was like, but well, what does your dad do for a job? And he goes, oh, he doesn't have a job. <laughs> and, um, and the preschool teacher says, no, Leland, he, he definitely has a job. And Leland says, no, he, he really doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> and um, she's like, but, but buddy, like, yeah, he does. Like, I, I think he's like a, a pastor. And he's like, I, I don't think that's his job. <laughs> Leland's confusion begs the question of what is it exactly a pastor is supposed to be doing anyway? Tim Keller, who passed away this week, he, someone who's shaped my life pretty deeply. He always does this thing called Ask TK. It's a social media thing where people can ask him questions. And um, one time someone asked him the question, um, what's something you've learned after 40 years of pastoral ministry? And he answered back that people really need a pastor. Which, which begs the question, what kind of pastor do they need? So what's a pastor supposed to be doing anyway? What kind of pastor do people need? It's into those questions that I think Luke wants to help when he tells this story. See, we have followed the journey of Paul, Paul the Apostle, particularly anointed to preach the gospel to new frontiers. He's Paul the apostle, Paul the missionary, Paul the church planner. But in this scene, we get a glimpse of Paul the pastor. See, see biblical characters are rarely good models for us, rarely, but they are sometimes. And I think the things that Paul says to this group of elders at least helps us begin to ask the question and then answer the question, what is a pastor supposed to be doing and what kind of pastor do we really need? And, and what I want to say to you tonight, um, this is the main thing I want you to hear. I mean, if you don't hear anything else I say tonight, um, I, I want you to hear this. That, that in Jesus Christ, we have a perfect pastor. Now, I'm not talking about myself. I'm talking about in Christ, we have the good shepherd, Jesus See, see, a person like me is only supposed to be an under-shepherd, kind of honestly like a sheepdog that tries to corral the sheep for the good shepherd, Jesus. And I think in this passage, we get to see the kinds of things that Paul says about the way he operated among the Ephesians. And we get a picture of, of what's a pastor supposed to do and what kind of pastor do we really need. So let's take a look at this together. 
First, let me catch you up to what has transpired in the last couple of chapters. Um, Paul is in Ephesus. It's, it's a rare moment where Paul stops and he stays. Paul's normally going and preaching the gospel, building up leaders and moving. But we're told that in Ephesus he stays, and he stays for more than two years. So we get a picture of Paul the pastor. A, a couple of chapters ago, there's demonic resistance that Paul experiences. One chapter ago, um, because of Paul's preaching of the gospel, there's a riot that happens in the city, and Paul has to be run out of the city. And all along, he's working and laboring, but he, gets, he has to escape, basically. But then he calls the leaders that he has built up to him, and he gives them farewell words. And that's what these are. And I think in what he shares, he, he gives us a picture Again, of, of what is a pastor supposed to be and do? And it, it's a little bit like a Venn diagram. Do you know what those are? It's like a circle and a circle and a circle, and you can see the overlap. These are all overlapping ideas, but I'm going to give you three marks. They all overlap, but I'm going to give you three, okay? Um, here's the first one. Paul shows us that a pastor has compassion. Look with me at verse 19, verses 22 and 23, verse 37. Listen to this. You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day I set foot in Asia. Verse 19. Serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. In verse 22 and 23, here's what Paul says. And now, behold, I'm going to, be going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me, except that knowing the Holy Spirit testifies to me that in every city, imprisonment and afflictions await me. In verse 31, he remembers that for three years I did not cease night and day to admonish everyone, but to admonish them with tears. Verse 37, and there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him. This is a scene of a lot of pain. And what Paul shows is that a pastor is supposed to pastor, supposed to shepherd with compassion. And the word compassion, I want you to hear it in its literal sense. The word compassion means come. It's Latin for with passion, suffering. In other words, to suffer with. A pastor suffers with people. The picture is, is there's a sufferer. And as the sufferer goes through suffering, they all of a sudden notice someone's next to them. That someone is a pastor suffering alongside them. You get that picture? See, in the ancient world, great speakers or great philosophers would speak. They would get big speaking fees. They would go on a speaking circuit. Ancient orators were, orators were kind of like celebrities or professional athletes maybe today. These, these famous people. They, they weren't the type to suffer alongside the common people. 
But Paul's showing us something different. That a good pastor suffers alongside. Weeps with you. Rejoices with you. Is just kind of right there next to you. See, a, a good pastor gives you exactly zero easy answers to difficult questions. Exactly zero. But what a good pastor does give you is presence. Someone there alongside. So this first mark is, is that of compassion, suffering alongside. Paul is saying that, that, that I have suffered. I did it through tears. I wept with you. I'm actually going to suffer more. If, if, if the people, if the flock are going to be pressured and, and beaten and imprisoned because of the gospel, then Paul's going to go through that too. So the first mark is compassion. Here's the second mark. I call it just telling the truth. So a good pastor has compassion. A good pastor, while having compassion, is a person who tells the truth. I'm going to read for you from verse 20, verse 24, verse 25, verse 26, verse 27. Listen to verse 20. I did not shrink from declaring you anything that was profitable in teaching you in public and from house to house. Verse 24. I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Verse 25. Therefore I testify you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you. That's actually verse 26. Verse 27. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. See, Paul had something to say. Paul, the pastor, had something to teach. And, and he did it not always. Not always with some kind of sense of ease. We're told here that he, he struggled through that. He struggled sometimes with a kind of boldness, apparently. We, we catch a glimpse of this in Corinth. He, he writes a letter, and, and he, has to tell, he has to talk about a situation because the Corinthians say, oh, Paul talks a big game in his letters, but when he comes to us, he's kind of shaky and nervous when he talks to us. He's not that great of a speaker. Do, you, do we think it was easy for Paul to, to come and to say the hard things he had to say to people? I mean, when he has to go into Athens and saying, you're very religious, but you're missing the only thing that matters. And the one thing that matters is this true God who's calling everyone to repent and to do it right now. See, that wasn't easy for him, apparently. Apparently, he was, he was nervous about that. He never knew if he was going to catch, catch beatings or imprisonments. Perhaps he wasn't just great at it. But a pastor is someone who tells the truth. And let me just speak personally. There are all kinds of pressures that would prevent a pastor from telling the truth. All kinds. I'll talk a little bit personally for me. Um, I enjoy for people to like me. 
That, that, was, that was it. That was the point. Um, I hate more than anything feeling misunderstood. And sometimes you'd, you'd almost prefer to just tr- close your mouth. When you know you have to go to tell the truth in a powerful way to someone, it's hard to explain the degree to which you feel a kind of war with spiritual darkness when it's time to do it. When you want to tell someone the truth about something, you can't help but think of your own like personal failures in the way you're not necessarily living up to the thing you're about to say. So you wonder, maybe I just shouldn't say anything. It's interesting that Paul says that as he taught and as he admonished and as he preached, he did it through tears. See, that helps. See, a lot of times I think we think of like a pastor who's this kind of bold prophetic truth teller and we forget that all the Bible's prophets say the things they say with a quivery chin and with tears in their eyes. But a good pastor has compassion, suffers alongside, and a good pastor, according to Paul here, tells the truth. And there's a third thing. A good pastor gives you a kind of access. A good pastor does ministry proximate to the people. Again, verses 19 and 20, verse 31, verse 34 and 35, I'll read from those. Um, Verse 19, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears, with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, teaching you in public, that's often how we think of Paul, in public and doing it from house to house. See, Paul made pastoral house visits. Verse 25, I do not account, I mean, sorry, verse 24, I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. If only I finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Now behold, I know that none of you among you whom I've gone out proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Paul is speaking from a deep personal relationship. That's why they're so sad. We're told that they, they wept because he said to them, you're not going to see my face again. So apparently he's built a kind of relational ministry to go alongside the truth-telling. Verse 31 again, Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone and to do it with tears. He goes on in 30, verse 34 and 35, You yourselves know that these own hands minister to my necessities. What he's kind of saying is, is, is I worked to provide for myself and I worked among you. Like I went to work, I did a job so I could provide for myself so, so you wouldn't have to think I was one of these traveling teachers that was only in it for the money. See, in the ancient world, traveling teachers, again, would be in it for the money. And Paul's saying, I was willing to work. I wasn't just in it for the money. I was close to you. I was house to house. I was, I was right there. You know, it's, it's interesting, there's an, there's an ancient um, 
discipleship document that gives a portrait of how Christians operated in the first century. And, and there's like a list of ways to detect a false teacher. Like, literally, you can find this thing. It's like, here's how you'll know a false teacher when you find them. They'll ask to be paid for preaching. Like, they won't preach until you've paid them money. Paul's saying, I was close and accessible to you. I wasn't some aloof speaker. So Paul gives a portrait of compassion, suffering alongside. He gives a, pastor, a, a portrait of, of truth-telling. He gives a portrait of access and intimacy with the people, house to house, side by side, through tears, preaching the truth. And if, if Paul's portrait of pastoral work here is, is like a cup, then it is the work of Jesus that fills this full, that fulfills this. See, Jesus pours this, this, this pitcher full. See, the Lord Jesus is a, a good shepherd, and, and I'm gonna work these back to show you the ways in which the good shepherd Jesus does these very things for you and for me. See, Grace Fellowship needs a certain kind of pastor, and Grace Fellowship has that pastor. It, it's not me, but it's Christ. I wanna show you how Christ is the fullness of this picture that Paul is painting. Let's think for a second about compassion. See, the good shepherd Jesus, the Bible tells us, is also a sympathetic high priest who's able to sympathize with us in all of our weaknesses. The good shepherd Jesus is near and he knows your situation. The good shepherd Jesus, the good shepherd Jesus has tasted your sorrows and mine. He has suffered alongside sinners. I mean, literally on the cross. He's suffering alongside sinners, but not for his own sinfulness, but for them on their behalf. And see, that's what makes Jesus truer and better, that his suffering redeems, makes new, cleanses, unshackles burdens, See, it's Jesus' suffering that conquers, that conquers death and darkness. So he comes alongside us in compassion, yes, but in such a way that his suffering heals and redeems ours. What about this idea of a good pastor being a truth teller? Let's talk about the way that Jesus fills that full. If you've ever read the gospel stories, it's incredible the way that Jesus is just telling the truth. He's walking along, and he's just telling the truth to everybody. He's going to meals, and he's just telling the truth. He's on trial, and he's closing his mouth most of the time, but when he speaks, he only speaks to tell the truth. See, he doesn't actually succumb to the pressures. He's, he's totally free. See, the, the Bible teaches that Jesus is in his very person the truth. See, that was, that's what makes him even a truer and better pastor. And in his truth that he tells 
which is the only truth that there is, has the power to set people free. I always think about the scene of the woman at the well. He just boldly and awkwardly tells her the truth. And she leaves rejoicing and set free. That is the way the good shepherd Jesus works among us. Thirdly, this idea of access. A good shepherd is close, accessible, and proximate. Isn't it a a thought that fills your heart with joy to know that the good shepherd Jesus who went to the cross for you and me is the same one who was resurrected and is the same one who has ascended to the right hand of God the Father to uphold the universe by the word of his power. At this very moment, Jesus Christ rules the world. And at the same time, the one who rules the world is most accessible to you. See, Scripture teaches that we can boldly approach the throne knowing we will receive grace. It's Jesus who takes our concerns, having understood them and experienced them, and he brings them into the very life of God to be our advocate. The Lord Jesus is, is, is praying, the Bible teaches us, for you and for me um, even now. You have all the access that you could ever need and desire and want with the most powerful person who lives. See, Jesus is is truer and better than any other kind of pastor. He's compassionate. He tells us the truth, and he gives us access to him. Grace Fellowship needs that kind of pastor. And Grace Fellowship has that kind of pastor. His name is Jesus. He's all yours. Let's pray together.